Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Going to do a Michigan football mailbag. We'll see how it goes. The questions were, uh, <laughs> they were varied. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of different types of fans, and, then, and that's kind of the, the theme of this offseason is everyone interpreted last season differently and, and had their own different opinions on the coaches. So what, anyway, we might be combining some questions. We might be kind of paraphrasing some questions, uh, but going to talk everything from Jim Harbaugh to the quarterback battle to the defensive front to kind of the, um, the I don't know, the state of the program. We, we could go down that rabbit hole for like five hours at a time. So we probably won't go too far into, into that, but, but answering a lot of the questions that you had, uh, I'm, I guess we should start. Well, let's start with a discussion Steve and I had not recorded yesterday. I'm talking about the front seven. So obviously the, the news, if you missed it last night, uh, Jay Toya, a USC defensive tackle transfer, top 200 recruit in the 2021 cycle. So he enrolled at USC, attended classes, did spring practice, seemed to be trending actually toward a first or second string role. He entered the portal, bit of a surprise, and, and he cited the desire to kind of, he committed to USC as a true freshman, couldn't do any visits last year as, as part of the recruiting cycle. Um, or the dead period, I should say. And so he looked at, he visited UCLA. He's from the LA area uh, and then visited Michigan. And then last night committed to UCLA. I, I don't think it was a <laughs> Michigan screwed it up. I mean, they, he was, they were one of two schools that he was considering. And it seemed like he had a, a pretty glowing visit to Michigan. So uh, I don't think we'll ever hear the full story on on, on it, but he's going to stay home, go to the Bruins. And Steve, we don't have to talk about too much about his recruitment. I mean, two two weeks ago, he wasn't on anybody's radar. So, I mean, this is just kind of the way things go in the transfer portal uh, these days. But how the, the bigger picture question is Michigan was very interested in Toya. Uh, they remain, I guess, engaged in the transfer portal looking for, I would, I would assume linebackers. We haven't actually officially heard any offers lately at linebacker, but, but linebackers and defensive tackles. Um, and so the big question is how dire is Michigan's defensive front? I think anyone who has ever watched Michigan football knows that the good Michigan football teams have good defensive fronts. Uh, very rarely has Michigan been a, an offensive driven team that didn't have, you know, some pass rushers, some run stoppers in the middle. And, and so I look at this team, I see, I see one elite player in Aiden Hutchinson in the defensive front. I see two players that I am pretty confident will be solid in, in Michael Barrett and, um, and Christopher Hinton. I see a couple higher ceiling type players. It, well, higher ceiling in terms of freshmen, you know, looking at a junior Colson, looking at a David Ajabo. I know he's not a freshman, but, you know, a couple of guys who I think could really pop. And then the rest is really, um, you know, kind of, kind of wild cards. And, and I think some, some have lower floors, some have lower ceilings. 
but but it just seems like this is a group. When I look around the Big Ten, I think Michigan might be in trouble with its defensive front, and and the the new defensive coaches Sean Nua remains, but you know the other defensive coaches. I I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, some of it is they're transitioning from a from a four three to a three four. You know, they're they're moving some of those defensive ends to an outside linebacker edge role. They're beefing up, trying to beef up their defensive front or their, their defensive line. And then linebacker, they're they're kind of dealing with a situation where they have a lot of Viper holdovers. Some have entered the transfer portal, but they have Viper holdovers. They have, uh, you know, linebackers that, that maybe don't have the speed that, that Michigan is hoping for from guys who are supposed to, their roles are supposed to be go sideline to sideline. So, Stephen, your estimation, you know, obviously you can, Toya seemed like someone who's really going to help at that nose position. I think you and I both would agree he would have started for Michigan. So in your mind, how dire is this defensive front? Uh, how, how much trouble are the Wolverines in at the front? So, you know, we were at Ferris State last week for the Ferris State, the mega camp. There was a 70 coaching staffs across the country on campus for this thing. Obviously, I think Michigan's entire staff was at this camp. The majority of them stayed for the entire the entirety of it. See you hear things, you know, throughout the entirety of the day. Biggest thing for me, the sense I get, I think, I think defensively right now, I think Michigan new staff, I think the feeling is the starting 11 that they think they can put on the field. I feel like they think they can have some, some pretty solid success. I think the problem is depth wise is where the issue is uh, particularly at the linebacker position and on the interior, which yeah, the Jay Toya thing, (laughs) you know, just, it does feels like a kind of another punch in the gut for Michigan fans. You get this guy who was a top target in 2021 committed to USC a long, long time ago, but Michigan continued to pursue for a while and was one of the top guys on their board, just kind of magically appears in the portal and wants to visit Michigan. I know his camp gave Michigan some really strong vibes that he was feeling it. And obviously, like you said, and I, I think this is a case is I think, I think he would have probably started, um, you know, and then to go to UCLA uh, is, is just kind of, one of those like, yeah, like two weeks ago, nobody would even been talking about him. And then he visits. It kind of looks like Michigan for a little bit. And then he commits to UCLA. Um, would have been a game changer for Michigan, in my opinion. Would have been, like I said, a starting caliber player, but also just another body there too. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, biggest thing for me was front seven. I think they really need to retool pretty much. A, we, we talked a lot about edge. feels like a spot that, seems deep because a lot of the DNs that they had in Don Brown's scheme have been kind of pushed out to that spot. You talk about guys like Mike Morris, Gabe Newberg, um, Oja- you mentioned Ojabo, Jalen Taylor Upshaw's in that Upshaw, starting Upshaw, yep, too. Absolutely. Upshaw. Um, that's a position it feels like they're pretty deep at. The actual linebacker spots, like I said, that's where I get the biggest sense. I feel like they think they can succeed with the guys that we project to start and maybe even your third, 
fourth guy, whoever those might be. Got to think Hill Green, probably one of those two names for sure. Maybe Mullings is, you know, you're ta- you talk about the top four there. But the depth there is something I think they're really going to work to fix. Probably, you know, it's a recruiting thing. But also, I still think if the right portal guy dropped at linebacker, I think they'd take a strong look there. So that's, yeah, I mean, it, basically the, the, the gist of it was this. Don Brown has recruited, the last few cycles, has recruited guys that were either sort of bigger and like not as fast or like smaller undersized guys who are really fast. I think the consent, like the, the new staff, McDonald, Hilo, uh, guys like that. I think the biggest thing they're looking for are big athletes. And of course you want to get the top ones. If you can get them, they'll host one of the Jeremy Patton out of Texas will be on campus this weekend kind of fits that mold. But I think they also feel like you do have the portal so from a recruiting standpoint, I think you're going to see guys that might be a little more raw from like a technical standpoint, but that are like uber athletes, guys that they feel like they can coach and turn into. And again, no, if, if the five-star wants to play and he's technically advanced and he's big and fast, they're going to, they're going to take him. But if they don't hit on their top guys, I think what you'll see is more big and fast. Colson, was kind of that guy though for Don Brown. This last cycle, Colson was a guy like that for Don Brown. He Michigan wants to recruit more junior Colsons. I don't know if every one that they will recruit will be a top 150 level guy, but it's going to be more in that mold, you know. So that's the biggest defensive takeaway I kind of had. Me, yeah, and I, like I said, I think I'd let you know about that like last week uh, that I was hearing some stuff along those lines. And they've had what five five linebackers enter the portal in the last like nine or ten months. So. Yep. Well, and in that same time, or I guess if you stretch it to fifteen months, they've had what five linebackers drafted. Yep. So I mean, yeah, they, so it's, part it's, of it's natural attrition, but but you're right that they were recruiting guys that ultimately just weren't making it onto the field. I mean, if you go look at Michigan's transfer portal on on twenty four seven Sports right now, it's it's a whole bunch of linebackers who hit the portal who, and I don't mean this to insult them, but like they never did anything on in games right? for the Wolverines. And, and, and what was, you know, and a few of them, particularly ones that have transferred recently were never even didn't even get to the point where they would be competing. They were still in the infant stages of their Michigan career. You talk about guys like Osmond Savage, um, Cornell Wheeler, even Mohan, who we'd heard good things about in Don Brown's defense, but was a guy I think we had focused on right away as like this was a, a total Don Brown Viper who might not be a fit scheme-wise for what McDonald was going to be looking to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, so that's basically – that's the way I'd look at it. You know, Michigan, I, I think they're – more so than a lot of teams that are trying to compete, uh, they're an injury or two away from things being very dire, especially at the linebacker position. I mean, that's the best – probably the best way to put it. And on the interior, because right now – We've seen Chris Hinton. He's shown it in flashes. I think they want to see more consistency there. We haven't seen Mozzie Smith as much. We've heard kind of seems to depend on the day uh, where that is at. But there's a lot of pressure on those guys to produce. Um, you know, Donovan Jeter's in what, year five or six? I mean, kind of 
I think he'll be a little bit better than he was last year, but I don't know how much more of a ceiling you're going to get with a guy in his fifth year in the program. He does bring the experience factor played a lot last year, but I don't, I don't know if you're going to see like a huge leap or anything like that. So, you know, another spot and you add Jordan Whitley, which definitely a situational player. We'll see how that one bears out. Um, again, somebody, I think Michigan, yeah, like I said, a scenario based guy, I'm not sure he's like, he's definitely not, in my opinion, a game changer for them defensively, but does fill a need for something that they've been looking for, you know? So, but again, another spot where an injury or two and they're like, they're going to be scrambling big time. I mean, that's why you see a guy like Toya enter and that's what Michigan immediately jumped on him. Um, more so than any other, def- more so than Whitley. I mean, this is Toya would have been the top if if everybody had entered the portal at the same time. Let's say Toya would have been far and away the top target for Michigan. So that's where it kind of stinks to like to feel like you're in a good spot for him, and then not get him. Um, but yeah, I think I think the depth question at linebacker, interior line are, are really the two biggest question marks Michigan is facing this 2021 football season. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, there's a ton of questions, right? But in terms of like the the ones that are in bold red letters, you know, like like I I, I think the depth and that and then I do think the the star presence. You don't need stars to be a good defense, but but it sure does help. I mean, if you look at Michigan's defenses for the last decade, it seems like every year they've had three, four guys in their front seven who were if they didn't make first team all big 10, they were pretty close. Um, you know, they were, they were maybe the, a second team, but with great stats or, or, you know, they had some key moments. I think there's Aiden Hutchinson, Steve, I, I, you're welcome to feel differently. I don't think anyone else in the defensive front, I could confidently say will be a first, second or third team, all big 10 player, and, you know, heading into the season. So I think it's, I think it's very dire. I, I think there's potential. I think uh, it will be a very interesting to see. I think there's a lot of guys who are kind of entering that now or never type of season. Um, some are literally entering their last season. So I guess in, in that sense, it's also now or never. But like, you know, I think about someone like Ojabo entering his third season. He was always meant to be a year two, year three guy. Well, this is where he, he shows it or he doesn't. Um, you know, the, so, Uche, the Uche plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Guys who came in really raw. Um, you know, I, I would argue Upshaw, um, despite, you know, his, his genetics, uh, was, was in a similar boat. I would argue, uh, Mike Morris, if I'm not mistaken, was in a, in a somewhat similar boat. I mean, there's, there's a few players who, who have really good size, pretty good athletic profiles, and now they have to do something with it. And, and I don't mean that in like a do something, get out, but like, this is probably the year that Michigan, I mean, if there's ever been a year, Michigan needs someone to step up and be an outlier on the defensive front. It's, it's this year. And I, I, I think they have a lot of guys who can fill roles along the defensive line and an edge. And I'm with you, Steve. I, I, I think linebacker, I mean, I don't even know who their number six linebacker would be right now. If I, I mean, I did a depth chart and I was kind of listing the everyone under scholarship at linebacker and they're in there too deep. And, and so it was kind of, um, I mean, at some point, you know, I, I'm very curious to see how Michigan approaches the transfer portal because 
you mentioned if the right guy pops in at some point you need numbers too. Um, you know, even if it's a guy who, who isn't starting and, and maybe isn't contending to start, but uh, I guess, guess we'll have to see. Cause you're right. The, the, the amount of players that they have lost versus the amount of linebackers they have brought in. It's a, uh, it's quite a disparity. And especially for theoretically, I mean, I know the edge position is, is going to be kind of defensive end, but for theoretically needing another inside caliber linebacker instead of a Viper, um, it's going to be really interesting. Anthony Solomon's maybe another guy who's, who's kind of quote on the spot to step up this season after what the coaches really liked, liked him, you know, year one and, and year two, but um, you know, he's, he's a little undersized to be an inside linebacker, but this is, if he wants to make a, an imprint, I think this would be the year to do it. Maybe they can get creative with some of these, you know, the, the two, five, what's the math, the two, five, four type defense. Maybe they can, maybe they can get interesting if, if players step up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, it, it would be described and it might've actually literally been described to you as a, as an extreme makeover, you know, what they're kind of doing to this defensive front. And so that's going to be a very pivotal off season of, of, you know, strength training and guys kind of changing their bodies and, and trying to, trying to make something of, of a defensive front that really struggled last season. I, I think it went under discussed because they went two and four, they averaged one and a half sacks per game last year. I mean, that's just, that's just really bad. <laughs> like you're not gonna, you're not gonna win a lot of. I mean, there are players who average more sacks per game than that. Right. Yeah. It opens up a whole wealth of questions, which maybe we can use this to segue into some of the mailbag questions. Is if they are revamping the defense, what kind of timeline does that buy everybody? Yeah. Right? No, and we got a couple questions about that. Um, actually, two two former callers into the radio show uh shane majewski he seemed to imply that maybe that there's a three-year timeline uh whereas <laughs> bradley u of m said uh what happens if they go three and nine and so uh i mean he was kind of tongue-in-cheek about it but but um you know, we're not we can't you sure? shouldn't, we're not going to talk about well he said he he threw an lol in there <laughs> but we're not going to talk about candidates today it's june that said, I think it is fair to talk about the leash because I think the off-season restructuring, I think it can be interpreted in one of two ways. And Steve, you and I both interpret it in this way in that I think Michigan set themselves up where if this season isn't a step forward, eight wins, nine wins, who knows, 10. Uh, we'll start with eight in terms of projections, but but isn't like a, a return to kind of the, the consistent winning program. I think Michigan set themselves up to move on and, and do so in a, in a financially uh, sensible way. It actually, because of the restructuring of the deal, it, it, w- it would theoretically be cheaper to pay Harbaugh for this season of work, pay the buyout and move on than it would have been to have paid him for the duration of his contracts that he was on previously. I don't know if that makes sense over podcasts, but, but the salary and the buyout were reduced so much 
that literally paying him for this season and then paying him to go away would be cheaper than it previously was to pay him for this season. So Shane, I, I see where you're coming from interpreting it as a, you know, this, this kind of extends the, his leash a little bit. I actually think it shortens the leash a little bit. And so a question I get a lot, Steve, you know, if I'm out at bars or, or talking to, to Michigan fans or whatever, I get asked a lot, what would it take for Michigan to move on from, from Jim Harbaugh uh, record-wise? Honestly, I think it's, I think it's seven and five. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think Michigan feels like they need to endure a, a multi-year rebuild. And, and I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, this is, this is a team that Jim Harbaugh assembled. You know, he, it's not like he isn't a part of the recruiting process or isn't a part of the talent development process. I mean, this is, this is the team he has. And I don't think there was any, you can't justify not being a top 25 team when you recruit at a top 20 level every single year. And so, I mean, you know, team talent composite, I think they, last year they were 18th, which is lower than they had been previously. So I think there's, there's reason to believe it could have been a down year, not two and four. I mean, what's the, what's the excuse to losing to, to Michigan state? What's the excuse to Indiana uh, who does not recruit at Michigan's level completely passing you and looking like a superior program. And so I, I, you know, Shane, Shane asked about kind of a three-year leash. I don't think it's that. I think it's a one-year leash. I don't think that they're going to say you have to beat Ohio state. You have to win the big 10 title. You have to make a new year's six bowl. But I do think Michigan has to be a winning team this year. I think they have to be a top 25 team or else, I mean, you know, it, it does take a good coach to be good at Michigan. I don't think it, Michigan's an automatic top 25 team in today's college football, but you can, you can hire somebody for the, for the price you're paying or you've paid Jim Harbaugh. You can hire somebody to win you eight, nine games a year. And if, so if Jim can't even do that, I do think Michigan moves on it. Steve, your thoughts on, on the leash and then kind of the interpretation of that contract restructuring because some people interpret it as oh they're they're giving him three or four more years finance technically yes they are by extending his contract but but i felt like the the changes in the numbers was a sign to me that this is a do it now or 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 we'll find someone else to do it the only thing that kind of keeps me from believing your last point is the fact is just the amount of overhaul they did on the staff. If, if, if they had gotten rid of a couple guys, but major like kept the majority of things the same, I feel like I would look at it as more of a do or die type situation, particularly also, you know, they've revamped the recruiting staff finally too. Uh, something they should have yeah. done along something they should have done a long time ago. Uh, that they've done, they've done that now feels a little more modern at this point. And, it, you know, I, it's like you look at the roster, you look at what they want to do defensively. We, we keep, cause the offensive staff relatively similar, you, you know, you look at what they're trying to do defensively. It's like, it's putting a lot of pressure on this new defensive staff to maybe make something out of something that, isn't there 
in one year. Now, could it be, I guess this is kind of what happened to Brady Hoke was always like a one year, like after he left Michigan was like, what is he one year at Oregon and they all got fired. And then Tennessee was the same thing, you know? So maybe that's the mission depends on if, if manual and, and Michigan's patience is the same at the same time though. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a limit. You can't obviously can't have a repeat of last year, but I think it's, I, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's like a baseline, right? Cause if say they say they went seven, let's just theoretically, let's say they went seven and five, but they beat Ohio state. Like they upset Ohio state. Then what do you do? Right. So there's always like a lot of different scenarios within that. I, I, I just think the answer is always somewhere in the middle. I think financially, where's Jim at now on the list? Like 35th or 40th in the country in coaching salary or something. Wasn't it way, yeah. it way low. Right. Yep. Um, I don't know how you look at it as far as do you look at that as a bargain? Cause I think for the full body of work, the fact that they're only paying him that much money, that's a bargain for Michigan. If he produces at the level that they have under him, what it really comes down to is if last year was an outlier or if it's a trend of things to come, not saying three and nine, four and eight, five and seven, but just, they just disappoint and don't, don't look good. You know, even if they, yeah, they're, they're a middling program. Exactly. Um, so Obviously, there's a lot of nuance in that situation, but I, three years, you know, I, three years is a deal where it's like, I don't think to have a rebuild in the middle of a one coaching tenure is kind of a weird, you know, usually rebuild at a college program means the head coach is gone and there's a whole new staff. Yeah, it's operation. a reset, yeah, not a rebuild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's rare. It's kind of Michigan in rare territory because this almost is kind of feels like a rebuild, especially defensively. But, you know, I don't know. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle, as it always is. I think there are baselines, I suspect. But for, for this to be a three-year thing for sure, I think it can't be – I think it's, I guess I maybe the best way to put it. I think I'm feeling like this is more of a two year type deal. Uh, I think barring a, a collapse from them this season, that's the only yes. way that, that, that this isn't a two year deal. If they go, I think eight and four competitive in the big games, sneak one out against a team. They're maybe not supposed to beat this season. I think that's good enough to, to say, Hey, we we're on our way. We know, you know, this is, we're rebuilding the defense the offense showed some life. We finally have a quarterback who's starting multi-years, like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, because there are signs, but it's going to have to be more than what we've seen, I guess. Yeah, I I interpret the the overhaul. I mean, that's – I mean, D'Antonio did it, and I believe the next season was his last season. Um, you know, Brian Kelly did it at Notre Dame, and it, it worked out extremely well. He was kind of the – He's kind of like the best case scenario where they they went. I believe it was four and eight. Uh, they they changed a bunch of the of the assistant coaches, ended a lot of long term employments, and then I, I, I if I'm not mistaken, they went ten and three the next year, made the playoff the year after that, ten and three, then made the playoff. So they they it kind of worked out for them. Um, but I think a lot of times those those coordinator hires in the in the hot seat season, 
you know, that's, to, that's kind of a shot in the dark. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything of Michigan's hires. In fact, in a moment, I'm, I'm going to say that they did made some pretty strong hires this off season, but yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be interesting. You bring up a good point about the, the two-year window because they did recruit a five-star running back and a five-star quarterback. Um, I believe that is the first time Michigan has done that at least since 24 seven sports was around. Um, they came close a couple times times but i don't think they've ever actually had five stars of both uh you know the the they're still recruiting even with all the the i guess negativity around the program at a top 10 top 15 level so we'll see we'll see i i i think my argument is that eight wins is probably too easy to get for michigan to I guess just ignore a six and six season, right? In, eight, administratively, eight, I mean, eight and four with losses to Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, right? Like one of those types of seasons. Yeah, like I think if they went six and six, I think it, that means you're losing to like Nebraska or Maryland or Michigan State. I mean, they they play enough teams that they should be beating. To where, yeah, I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna rebuild, if they're gonna have to like hit the reset button, you probably have to change your head coach. Uh, that's kind of how college football works because it's it's very hard to recruit. If you have a you can't tank in college football. If you have a bad season, recruits notice and they say, "I don't want to go there." It looks like they're two or three years away from contending. You know, speaking generously, so and that's where you find a new head coach who can promise. Uh, optimism and it's a new start and I'm going to do things differently. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, there's really no like designed tanking or designed rebuilding in, in college sports, especially at a program like Michigan. I, I, I think sometimes Michigan fans expectations are, are too high, but I think it's absolutely fair for them to expect eight wins, you know, with how they recruit the, the facilities that they provide, um, you know, the, I guess the financial backing of the program. I think it's very fair. Uh, real quick, to, just to, to maybe add a more specific question, Jeff, six, six, seven, three, uh, asked about some of the hires and he, he seems to read it as grasping at straws. I actually think the hires that they made this off season were by and large, very strong hires. Um, I mean, I think Mike McDonald, seems like a very strong impression. I mean, the only thing he doesn't have is like college defensive coordinator experience, but you can tell in interviews, he's, he's really sharp. Um, it sounds the, the word on the street is that, uh, or not the word on the street, but the word, you know, from the program is that players are really responding to, to him and kind of, you know, his, his intellectual approach uh, to, to, to fundamentals, to scheme, to game planning everything like that. Uh, I, the Mike Hart hire makes a, way too much sense. You know, I would argue the Ron Bellamy hire makes a ton of sense too, especially if you add in the recruiting component. The, the clean scale hire makes a ton of sense. I mean, these were hires that people were asking for for like two years ago. Uh, and so I, I'm curious about the grasping at straws. I think some of the, like, the shuffling, you know, Sharon Moore to offensive line, 
uh, Jay Harbaugh moving away from running backs back to a position he was already coaching before. I can see where fans are kind of uh, maybe rolling their eyes a little bit saying, okay, okay. They're just, just kind of bringing in a couple guys, just moving people around, you know, a couple of the hires were very young, relatively inexperienced coaches. But I, I think if you look at the actual full picture of the offseason changes, I, I feel like one, they changed everything they needed to change. And then two, I think that they they were pretty measured in their quote unquote swing hires. I mean, they, they were guys that that there's a lot, lot of logical sense. There wasn't one that I was completely scratching my head on. There were a couple that I had to do a little research and say, okay, what why did they pick this guy over this guy? But it does seem like they made I, it didn't feel like a straw grasping offseason. It, it, it certainly I get where Michigan fans are. You know, I think there was another question we got about, like, is this the most depressing preseason ever for the fans? I can see where that is the case. I mean, there's very little proof. There's very little actually in front of you that you can genuinely be excited about. Uh, but in terms of Michigan's personnel changes, I. I thought they did a pretty good job, B plus, A minus type of job, maybe, um, you know, with 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 a ceiling, too, you know, where a chance that it, some of these hires could work out even better than we expected. But but it certainly feels like they, I don't know, I I don't I don't agree with the grasping at straws. I think I think a lot of necessary changes were made, and then there's a couple that are that are very intriguing uh, because you know they could be getting guys who before. Um, they become huge names, which is gen- generally tends to be better than getting a guy after they become a huge name in terms of, you know, bringing a fresh playbook, fresh game plan, fresh scheme and everything. Yeah, I agree. Grasping at str- like, yeah, like you said, I, I know where they're going with the question, you know, is this too little too late sort of deal, I think is probably what they're getting at. Because I agree with you. I think by and large, I think, the changes in the hut and the hires that they made were very positive. I, I, I believe I look at the Hart and Bellamy hires, not just as being benefit, like Hart in particular, you know, in the locker room, right. Um, as something that could be very beneficial. Anybody watch Michigan football, from 2004, 2008 knows, you know, how much Mike Hart loves the program and how fired, like he's a very fired up kind of guy. And so I I think bringing more of that into the locker room, I think is a huge plus, especially when you feel like how they look, even just how they looked on the field last year, not just how they played, but just the general, just vibe in watching them live uh, was just a very mundane, lax, you know, I see guys like Hart and Bellamy. And I, I, I still think Harbaugh is, is that way. I, I just, I don't know where the, that, that lax came from last season, but I think having more of that from guys who have been there and played there and, and done it, I think is a, is a big positive. And then, yeah, I like both of the hires they brought. You know, the Matt Weiss hire doesn't hasn't really gotten talked a lot, talked about a lot. I think that's one of the more high ceiling hires 
that they ended up making. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when John Marie left that Harbaugh, you know, I think everyone naturally thought, well, they're going to replace a linebackers coach with another linebackers coach. I think the fact they shifted Bellamy back over to, or back over to safety and moved Hilo from safeties to linebackers to bring Weiss in, I think was a clear indication not necessarily that they that they had to make a move another move on the offensive side of the or they had to make some kind of move on the offensive side of the ball, but I think that this was a guy that was too good, knowing they had the opportunity, uh, was too good to pass up as far as being an addition to the staff. So that'll be an interesting dynamic with Gaddis and and Weiss. That that, that is uh, right. objectively though the the closest to a head scratching decision. I mean, he had not coached quarterbacks, you know, in the NFL. It, I mean, it, 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 there was some shuffling and, and, you know, moving Bellamy from receiver safeties, even though he's coached all the positions as a high school coach. I, I think if, if there was one where I can see where, where Michigan fans are kind of like, what, what is going on here? That's probably the move. Okay. So – I, I, here's here's my my thing. I'm trying to try to think of the right way to say this. I think you can. I think spots like safety. That's where Michigan put Chris Partridge, if you remember. Safety. There are a couple spots where. I think like you have a guy like Clink Scale would have been linguist before, but I think it's the same idea. Is you know Clink Scale was brought in. His title is defensive backs coach. I think you have a combo of, of an uber experienced high level coach like, like Kling scale, but again, would have been the same with Mo linguist. You put a young guy like Bellamy on that side of the ball. Like, I think that works out. Okay. I don't think the concern so much is I don't look so much at the shuffling necessarily as being like a positive or a negative. I just, I think the combo you put a guy like Kling scale with a guy like Bellamy, I think that can work totally fine. Uh, it worked with Zordich and Partridge even though Partridge really had not had any experience coaching safeties at the time. I mean, he was a linebacker coach by trade coming up the ranks uh, well before he got to Michigan. I think he played linebacker, Uh, you know, so I, 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 we heard a lot of good things about Weiss after the fact. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that was garnering buzz as a potential NFL offensive coordinator. I know when he got hired, one of the first articles I found about him was, I believe it was a Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't remember what network or whatever, but uh, was uh, just was absolutely explicitly mentioned as a guy that they thought should be garnering interest as a potential offensive coordinator for them. Uh, that was my thought. He's a big analytics guy too. I know that was the other big thing with him. So I, I'm not as, to me, that was not as big a head scratcher maybe at the time, I guess. You, hold I guess, on, you can't say, you can't say. Hold on, hold Brian, on, hold on. It was, it was out of left, of course it was out of left field. What if you, let me finish here. Cause yes, John Marie leaves. You think, okay, you're going to replace a defensive coach with another defensive coach. Obviously the way it play, played out was unexpected. He didn't think they were going to get a quarterbacks coach OC type guy was not going to be the replacement there. I think looking back though, I think you I think you can see where Harbaugh it was going with that direction because you can you can 
their assistants on staff. It's the right way to say it. Like, are it's primarily recruiting driven. Like Vince Merrill, I don't like. Is if you look at Vince Merrill at Kentucky as the tight ends coach, I don't even know if Kentucky like has produced one tight end. But he's one of the best recruiters in the country. You got to have him on your staff. It's like I think there are guys that can learn the ropes. Their strength will be recruiting. You can kind of throw them anywhere, and then you you know you understand where I'm going with this. So of course the way that it actually played out. Was no, I get ex- that part, but but we we're talking in literally this exact same episode how dire things are at linebacker, and I know Mike McDonald has coached linebackers, but that's his, he's got he's, a lot on his plate. It's the same as Don Brown is that he will probably he will basically be coaching the linebackers same way that Don Brown did. So, you know, Don Brown was defensive coordinator, but was also pretty much linebackers didn't, coach. Didn't really work for Don Brown. What? Well, they got five drafted. It did for a while. Is the recruiting where things went, where it looks like things have gone south. I mean, he's he. They produced a lot of good linebackers. Uh, it's just like I said, the recruiting has been head scratching. The last they've hit on a couple, but it's been head scratching the last like three cycles or so, pretty much since Devin Bush departed, um, and McGrone. But even then, McGrone, I think we still think got drafted mostly off potential and not off actual production at Michigan. Yeah. McDonald and Hilo have experience work like they know each other really, really well. I think that's where that how they I think that's partially why they felt comfortable to make that move. I think you put Bellamy with again either Linguist or Clakesale, whoever it was gonna be. I think that works also. And I feel like they I, I think there was another they saw another opportunity to to bring in what Harb I guess I look at it this way is the same idea as um drafting the best player available, right? I'm not saying that that's how it's going to work out. I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that's how Harbaugh must have been looking at it is when they got wind or caught, caught word that Weiss was available or a guy that John Harbaugh was willing, you know, you know, cause I'm, there has to be some kind of discussion there where it's like, yeah, you can have him or, you know, like, like we'll let him go <laughs> or whatever. that's the way I kind of look at it is that Michigan and Harbaugh must have viewed Weiss as sort of a best player available type scenario and then shuffled things in a way, you know, to where the, where they still felt comfortable defensively. So, so yeah, I mean, again, the way that it played out was not what we expected, but I I, I can see the logic behind it. Um, I don't think it was grasping at straws. That's for sure. Um, No, 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 no. I, I, I think it was more, I think it's it's it, but for the fans, it's a head scratcher, because, I mean, you just don't know. These are the these. I guess this is the explanation. These are the parts that that you and I and and you know our other coworkers at twenty four seven were kind of discussing. Like, you know, they're going to have a a co defensive coordinator type defensive backs coach. Because I will say, Mike Zordich's position was defensive backs coach. But if we asked him about a safety in interviews, he'd say, "I don't coach the safeties really." Um, so I don't think, I think this will be a little different. I do think Clint scale is going to be involved in both positions. I think, I think Bellamy is going to be involved in a few different positions. I, I would think, I mean, he's, he's qualified to be. So, um, you're right. I, I, when they made the hire, it was best available, but you were also looking at a situation where we think, I think it was best of that. I'm like, cause you're right. That what I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at it from a hindsight position and say, this is why I think it played out that way. Cause yes, logic would say, why would you, 
you lose your most at that at that point wasn't Jean Marie the most experienced and the oldest yeah coach on staff um why would you replace your linebackers coach you know why like why would you do it that way why not bring in another defensive mind to help out a first year coordinator with no play calling experience you know yep. why you know why would you so my thought is because they went that I'm just trying to explain what I think was the logic behind that move you know yeah. and obviously that happened before the clink scale hire which clink scale now is the most experienced assistant yes. on the defensive yep. side by a long shot as far as the college game goes so that's all I was trying to do I'm not making an excuse for the hire just I like remember I thinking at the time why did they do it this like why because I had the first thought initially uh but the the, the gist of it felt like a uh you know, best player available type thing. That that's sort of was like, we can get this guy. We have to take advantage of the opportunity to bring this guy because he'll make the staff better from top to bottom than other guys that we're looking at on either side of the ball. That's that's about as good as yep. I can put it. Yep. It, it, it was the optics, and that's where that's where you know we you and I kind of discussed a little bit more than the optics. There are there are a couple optical head scratchers, and that's where I can see the more negative fan or the, the, I guess the fan who is more frustrated, I should say um, calling it grasping at straws. But I think you and I are, are in agreement that by and large solid hires for Michigan. I mean, that, you know, think about some of these coaches. I mean, these were guys that uh, Michigan fans have been, been really wanting, you know, and not, not like saying that after they, they were hired. I mean, these were in clink scale. I don't know how many times we got questions about, why doesn't Michigan hire this guy or <laughs> you Mike Hart? Why doesn't Michigan hire him? And so, um, yeah, I think it was a little bit more than grasping at straws, but we're going to take a quick break in, in just a moment. We, we got a few more questions. Uh, they're on the quicker end, less discussion points, more um, answering your questions, emptying that mailbag. This is the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. And we're back. Thanks for waiting. So, keeping it in the same kind of tone of discussing the, the tenor around the program, Joshua kid asked what stage of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance best describes the majority of Michigan football fandom going into 2021. I, I think we're past the denial. I think that was maybe last or maybe the spring before I think anger was last year. Um, I don't know if there's bargaining in college football. I'm not sure. I, I think, I think we're in the, I think Michigan fans are in the, the depression stage, Steve. I mean, when I look at my stories or, or kind of the, the comments on my football stories, I think there are some people who are accepting, but I think a lot of it's just people who are, who are really bummed out and don't want to, don't want to read about it. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you and I, as we mentioned, we both, are, are in pretty frequent communication with Michigan fans, either on social media or in, or in real life. Um, have you been around a Michigan football season that was like this in terms of a lot of fans are checking out or saying, I, you know, they're, they're kind of scaling back how much time they consume thinking about Michigan football right now. Um, granted the, the, I guess the events of the last 15 months, both with Michigan football, but also with everyone's personal lives 
uh, you know, there's a lot of other things that people are excited to pay attention to right now, but yeah. What stage of grief do you think Michigan fans are in? Uh, you know, generally speaking. Apathy is kind of the, the word yep. that comes to my mind as far as where this off season's at from a fan standpoint, right. Um, from the coach, you know, that's what we talked about beforehand. We are at the Ferris state camp. And obviously have to preface it by saying, I don't think more energy means that Michigan will necessarily win more games this season, but I definitely felt like Harbaugh and the staff as a whole, things felt a little bit different than the last time. Granted, it's been a while since we've seen them. And I know it's also, there's excitement because it's really the first time that there's been a camp where they can evaluate prospects in person. So there's excitement there, but in talking to Harbaugh, we got Sam and I, hung out in the gym for a while with Angelique from the Detroit news. Didn't know if we'd even get Harbaugh, but we did. We got him for longer than we thought we would. Uh, much more jovial and, and outgoing than I remember him being the last couple of times we'd seen him. Even after, even after the cameras were turned off, he, he stuck around and talked to us for, it was a short time, but still, you know, more than what we're usually getting. So I think from the coaching, I think from the actual program standpoint, I don't, it's definitely, obviously it's not apathy. It's not defeatist. Right. Uh, I do think it's a little bit different than I think, well, not a little, probably a lot different uh, than it is heading into last season, COVID or no COVID. Hmm. But from a fan standpoint, absolutely. It's apathy. Uh, excitement's obviously gone. You know, we're seeing college football. There's no such thing as parody. And, and one of the biggest outliers is Michigan's chief rival, who's does not look to be slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, from a fan standpoint, yeah, I mean, I think apathy has fully set in and it's really a, I think there's a, it's a mix of apathy and a, and, and more and a, like a, okay, it's time to show me something or it won't even be apathy. Right. So, right. That's the way I would gauge it right now, I think, is is mostly apathy, but also like a all right, prove it or I'm done. So So the term basketball school gets thrown around a lot. And it's often like in terms of Michigan, it's often used when Michigan basketball does something really well. Um it's also like used kind of when football struggle, you know, they'll be like, oh, Michigan fans will be like, oh yeah, it's a basketball school now. Um, this is the first spring that I've actually felt like it, there's truth to it. You know, I mean, even when Michigan basketball was making the national title game in 2018 and, um, you know, 20, I mean, it was still a football school. The basketball was the, the, the dessert that you liked a lot more than the meal. I, I can say the stories I write about Michigan basketball right now, by and large, do better numbers wise than the stories are right about Michigan football. And so I think, I think the, um, I think there's definitely apathy. I think there's, I do think once the summer kind of comes to an end and there's, there's some, there's uh, I guess fall camp, but there's a little bit more signs of, you know, returning to tailgating, returning to games. Cause that's, that is a big part of it is that football, so much of Michigan fans love for Michigan football um, many of them, it's because they have fond memories of being there. You know, Michigan basketball is a little bit more 
and college basketball in general is a little bit more of a TV sport. A Michigan football averages almost 10 times the attendance per game than Michigan basketball. And obviously the tailgating atmosphere, I mean, people aren't dropping uh, four or five figures on, you know, the parking tailgating experience. And so, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it changes as the season gets closer. I think a lot of fans are just kind of, kind of done with being duped because, because you mentioned the energy felt different. I have heard that literally every single year since I started doing this job. That's oh, the energy is different. That's fair. But it, we also, we talked, I think you and I talked explicitly last year. I don't know if it was on the pot or maybe even off about Harbaugh specifically looking, feeling defeated during the pressers and post game and stuff. Not before the season though. Not before the season. True. True. Before the season. I mean, I remember I covered him at, at the let us play protest. I don't know what it was actually called. Um, you know, his energy was high and, and in, in pressers in the, you know, he met with us in the middle of July for a press conference and seemed really energetic. So I, I think Michigan fans, I mean, apathy, uh, despondence. I don't think it's quite to acceptance and indifference yet to that question. I think some fans will say they will, but unless they're literally not watching, you know, cause how many, how many times, Steve, it, this happens with the lions all the time. How many times do you hear, yeah, I'm done with them. I'm not watching them anymore. Not until they, you know, do this. And then next thing you know, they're watching. <laughs> and so um, I don't think it's to that point yet. I think it's actually very hard to get to that point, especially in college sports, because a lot of people have personal connections to the programs they root for. Um, so I don't know if it's there yet, but I do think this offseason is different because I think the the frustration has changed to – I guess a more passive frustration where you're like, whatever, <laughs> like, you know, let me, let me just, whatever, let me have my summer. Um, so, so we'll see, we'll see how it develops. I do think you know, Michigan for a long time was like a 12 month a year care about the football program kind of fan base. I think until they get back on a winning track, I, I don't think that they are that. So that, that would be my assessment of the, of the grief. Um, kind of a uh kind of a fun question i mean it is it is funny i'll talk to michigan fans and they'll be like i haven't even thought about michigan football yet i'm like yeah you're not alone <laughs> I, i've noticed so that. i think the one thing though the, the the my school is a blank school like insert sport here I, as, that's just always like you just whatever major sport is doing best like that's just what people say you know it's like if michigan's a basketball school yeah, yeah it's no it's just because the basketball program is in a well, much better no, spot well, right now than the football program. You know, nobody at Indiana is saying they're a football school though. Yet, I think you can. I think you can do Michigan. I think bas- sometimes it's cover. Okay, Michigan I think basketball if it happens for like a decade straight. Okay, sure. Michigan basketball though has sustained their success now for a while. Indiana football, right? They're they're starting to turn it around, you know, there's a whole different deal though in Indiana with just the history of basketball period, not just at Indiana university, but the state of Indiana too, where it's a little bit different. But when I hear Michigan fans say Michigan is a basketball school, I always 99 times out of a hundred, I feel like it's 
actually reinforces the idea that it is a football school because people want to tell you it's a basketball school as a way to slight the, how the football program is currently performing. Cause that's what it always feels like when they, like people go out of their way to say, well, Michigan's a basketball school now. Like they're like in a way where it's like, well, football stinks and I want to complain about it. And I'm not giving people crap cause there's been plenty to complain about. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like this slightly over the top argument. Cause you're right. We see it and we're seeing it more now than we have. It's more of a, you know, still kind of an underhanded swipe at the lack of success, the football lack of relative success, the football program has had. I'd be interested to see if people agree with what I'm getting at there, but I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about it. Cause I feel like, you know, if football was winning 10 or 11 games, even if Juwan Howard won a national title, you know, say Michigan split four years with Ohio state, won a big 10 title, whatever, people wouldn't be crowing as much about Michigan quote being a basketball school as they would with football struggling and basketball having a, a a nice sustained run of success, both on the court and on the recruiting trail. So I was 100% in agreement with you until about two months ago or three months ago. Cause I, I always thought it was just kind of a lazy joke. I honestly, I think it's kind of an old joke too. It's been going on for eight years, not just at Michigan, at every school, Florida state loves to do it too. Um, you know, I think, uh, what's it, Texas did it a little bit this year, you know, and whenever UNC does well at football, it's like, Oh, it's a football school. Now it, it, it happens all over the country. It's not like that particularly inspiring of a joke, but I think, I think this, this off season or this winter and spring, there was absolutely a shift because when people would claim it in 2018 or, you know, coming off the 2017 football season and, and the basketball team made the title game, uh, fans still were much more engaged with football. They were much more interested in the football stories and the basketball stories that off season, you know, around now that is not the case this year. And so I think, I mean, of course, if Michigan football becomes really good, I mean, they're, they're going to have more fans show up at, at the season opener than Michigan basketball will get the entire regular season. So in, in some sense, it's still a football school, but I, I literally don't get questions about the football team anymore. People don't read, people read my stories, but not at the same, nearly at the same numbers that it is about the basketball program. So I think, I, I think you're right. I think it's often a cover that fans use or, or a joke or a bit, you know, Indiana, but, but I think Michigan since 2010, it's not even close who the better program has been. I miss, we're talking very seriously about Michigan potentially having its fourth coach since 2010 in football and the two coaches that they've had in, in basketball have like 95%, 99% approval ratings. So yeah, it's, um, I think if it happens long enough, I do think there, there can be a shift. It doesn't happen very often. I mean, I'm sure Michigan state a few decades ago kind of made a shift. I think, uh, I, I, you know, it happens from time to time, 
but yeah, I think it's, <laughs> as far as the actual question, I think that it's, it's kind of in the apathy um, depression stage where people just don't really want to, don't want to talk about it. <laughs> they kind of want to ignore it. So uh, other questions, maybe on a, in a less, maybe they'll bum Michigan fans out a little bit less. Kansas pregame asks, has Jim Harbaugh ever visited Hayes, Kansas prior to this week? So he's got in-laws in Kansas. We were talking about this before the show, but Hayes, Kansas, I, I didn't even realize he, he had visited there. That is true middle of nowhere kansas not a dig at, <laughs> not a dig at Hayes. it's smack dab in the middle and we were joking uh we looked at like the the map of the united states it's when it shifts from green to tan yeah so it's not even like the lush you know forest grassy kind of great plains it's like it, it's not quite mountains either it's really like middle middle america um i feel like so it's where I, 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 I don't know if i-80 does i-80 run through the middle of it's like I feel like that's where that trip gets starts to get really boring. Like it's cool for a while when things open up. You know, when you're taking a trip, you can see for miles and miles, but then it just gets like then it's just a trek. You know, because I remember it's I seventy because I've taken I seventy, uh, drove to California a long time ago, and yeah, like Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas, is. <laughs> is pretty brutal and that's it you're right i mean it is like legitimately right on the edge you know because the the trip down 35 like through the kansas turnpike you know kansas always gets a rep as being like a really boring kind of like you know how people always joke like iowa and stuff like nebraska yeah like there are spots in kansas like the turnpike is actually a really nice drive but yeah i mean i also like i said before the show <laughs> props to kansas pregame for being totally on brand, uh, asking the question about Harbaugh ever being in, in Hayes, Kansas before. I have to assume he has been. Maybe not since he's been the head coach at Michigan. By the way, for those wondering, he was there to check in on uh, Jaron Kanak, who's a national recruit. I think we just bumped him up to a four-star. He ran like a 10 some outrageous 100-yard dash, and he's gotten like 30 offers in like a month's time. He officially visited Michigan last week. Fort Hayes State had a satellite camp type deal the next day after he got home from his official in Michigan, went right back out there to go check on him again and, and you know, do the whole thing with him. So that's why he was out there. I have to assume he's been there at some point. I thought that was kind of a neat, goofy question. And, and like I said, I appreciate the uh, just totally on brand from Kansas pregame to ask that. But, uh, Ironic though, because like you said, Harbaugh has a lot of ties in that area. Was he rumored to be a candidate for Kansas's head coaching job at one point? I feel like back in the day, way back in the day. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't remember if it was if it was post Stanford or post. It must have been post Stanford. You'd have to look it up. But there, there were like, and it sounded like looking back that it was like semi legit because of those family ties in the area. So kind of a little tidbit, but yeah, and that's, that's how they came across Ronnie Bell. I, I don't actually know if Bell is officially from Kansas or, or Missouri, but he was the Kansas city player of the year. Um, Harbaugh's in-laws are kind of based in the Kansas city area. And so Ronnie Bell didn't have any scholarship offers and was named Kansas city player of the year, uh, which is just crazy to me. I mean, obviously I know he was like kind of basketball was his first 
sport, but still Harbaugh got the tip uh, and, it, and it worked out pretty well. Jaron Kanak ran a 10.37. Man, you almost, you almost wonder if it's even worth playing football at that point. At, you might as at well 205 go. at 205 pounds too. Not a small skinny yeah. wide receiver. Yeah. This kid's going to play <laughs> linebacker. So. Gosh, that I'd almost tell him to go do track and make a, make a nice living there, but um, you know, to each their own. And, and you're right. If he's already 200 pounds, uh, it might be, might be a pretty, pretty bright future for him. Uh, another question we got just in scrim, comes from Jacob Smith uh, says, based on the tape you've seen, can Alan Bowman compete for game reps this year? This is a, so I, I just checked this morning. He, Alan Bowman is officially enrolled at the university of Michigan. Uh, that's always, uh, especially at Michigan, but I would argue at every school, that's always the question is someone can commit as a transfer, but until they're actually enrolled, um, it, it does kind of get taken, or there's always that potential that, that maybe they enroll somewhere else instead. Um, but Bowman is enrolled at Michigan. I assume he has made it to campus since it is June. I sure think he can. I mean, I, you know, I know Michigan kind of anointed Cade McNamara the starter this spring and maybe, maybe that, you know, that was with Bowman in mind, but Bowman wasn't on campus. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I was pretty intrigued by the Bowman commitment. It, that was another out of nowhere commitment. I don't think, I don't think anyone even knew Michigan had offered uh, to, to be frank. And so, um, but he, I don't think he got a fair shake at, at, at Texas tech. You know, I think he started out really impressively. I mean, he was going, he was at Oklahoma, you know, with a punctured lung scoring a touchdown to, to give them a lead at halftime. You know, it was, I think at one point he was actually leading the country in passing yards. And then he, he has the in, punctured lung is not nothing. I think he injured it, re-injured it kind of coming back from it a little, little soon. Uh, and then Cliff Kingsbury knows a thing or two about quarterbacking. Um, he left to go be, well, I guess, did he get fired from Texas Tech? Anyway, he, he's now the Arizona Cardinals head coach. Um, but he left. The new coach came in. You know, Bowman had a couple other injuries. And they brought in a transfer from the new coach's old school. I can't remember where he was from. But basically, they, they never really – I don't know if Bowman ever really got a, a true fair shake after Kingsbury left, he's, he's a tough player, tough quarterback, um, you know, can kind of the, the Texas gunslinger of, of, you know, he fits that, that mold, not just from being from grapevine, Texas, but also uh, playing like it too. So I, I think so, especially considering Kate McNamara and JJ McCarthy and uh, Dan Valari have a combined, what one start. It'd be, it'd be one thing if McNamara played five, six games last season, but but he didn't. The season ended early, and I, I believe he got uh, injured pretty badly in that Penn State game, so we didn't even really get to see him in, in a second true high-leverage situation. We really just saw him against Rutgers. So I, 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 think he, I think Alan Bowman can compete. What do you think, Steve? I think he compete, can compete. I, don't, I wouldn't predict him. Right. Yeah, I think my depth chart's got Cade still winning just because he's been with the program a little longer. Right. And I think the benefit of enrolling early 
you know, I think McCarthy will also, I don't think that's over uh, as far as when fall, oh, camp, okay. when fall camp hits. Well, that's half the benefit of enrolling early. I don't necessarily think with a high school prospect outside of the rare, rare, rare ones, is a kid going to walk on campus in January and in March, you know, seize the job necessarily. But I think you give him an extra four or five months. Right. That's a long time. Uh, that's like double the time that he was th- like, well, more than double the time that he was there True. when he first competed in the spring. So you give him a little bit more time. I, I don't think that that's over uh, yet. And, and and if you're Michigan, you don't want it to be over as well, as well as, no, as highly yeah. as, they, as highly as they spoke of McNamara. And as much as I tend to believe what they've said about McNamara, I don't think it's over with JJ. And then uh, Bowman just is another name in the mix there who, yeah, absolutely will compete. Just wouldn't be the guy I'll be, I'll predict to be under center uh, against Western Michigan. Yeah. I, and a lot of people ask kind of which, which kind of transfer quarterback is this? Is this Shea Patterson? Is this Jake Rudock? Is this John O'Korn? Um, I see a little bit more Rudock. I think, you know, he's, he graduated. He's a little bit older. He's not, uh, I guess, naive. I don't think he's expecting anything to be handed to him. And I think he's kind of here to, to bet on himself. And if, if it doesn't work out, then he's got a really good education you know, in terms of grad school. So, um, so we'll have to see plenty, plenty to, uh, plenty to, um, plenty of snaps to be had for, for all three. Uh, curious to see how Michigan divides it. Cause obviously you're, you're limited in time and snaps you can conduct in practice. So, um, you know, do they, do they truly make it even across the board or do they kind of start to whittle that down early to, to prepare for a season? Cause they, they, I mean, they're playing Washington a week too. It's not like, it's not like they have the whole month of September to, to, you know, get their, get their feet wet. Uh, another question from Jacob, uh, how much stock do you put into players receiving praise this year? I'll have to pull up the, the full wording of it, but um, uh, you guys have mentioned previously how last year the staff would sing the praises of guys uh, who then had rough years. How much credence are you giving to any hype praise at the coaches report this summer? Steve, totally fine. If you, if you have a different approach, I put zero stock into players receiving praise. If, if they can justify it and say, such and such is up 15 pounds or if they can have some sort of quantifiable or measurable, maybe I'll listen. But after last season, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is talking about, they want to go win a national title. <laughs> you know, they want to go win a big 10 title. And of course he's he has to say that, but really just seemed like the coaches were, were a little hyperbolic felt like they were a little out of their shoes. And then, and then it looked good against Minnesota, and then it didn't the rest of the way. Um, and clearly not a wasn't even a top 25 team. So probably had more work to be done than the coaches admitted or ever mentioned. So I I'm kind of I'm sitting out the praise, the praise train this year. Um, you know, I'll, I'll report it because that's my job, but but in terms of like actually it changing my expectations, I think. I think any expectations, any expectation changing will have to occur September 5th or later. I, I, you know, without a spring game, 
without an open practice. I'm going to wait until I see it on the field before I, before I change anything. Uh, have you, have you changed your approach this off season? Um, so until last year, you know, Michigan was having good, not great seasons. I wish I'd write, I wish I'd write it down like of which guys, because I mean, if you listen to enough pressers, like most guys are going to get some mention at some point. Right. But there's always like, I don't know, like a handful of guys or so that you continually hear about or whatever. And until last season, I feel like more often than not, the individual players that the coaches would continually point out or players in their pressers, the guys, that handful of guys more often than not would like, would be good or would produce. And people would extrapolate us maybe doing an insider or, or about like somebody tearing it up in practice as meaning, you know, 11 and one, like would extrapolate it into team success. So if they, if, if there's any hype about how they feel the team will perform, I would probably take that with a grain of salt, but I still usually I'll at least listen if there's, if there's a consistent buzz or discussion about an individual player that is standing out, whether it be on in spring ball during off season workouts or in the fall, I'll at least listen because there's still, and again, last year being the exception uh, until then it was usually not a hundred percent hit rate for sure. But more often than not, it was, that was usually a decent indication that they, there was an individual that was on the verge of, you know, not maybe a full on breakout, but a guy that was going to produce and, and be a positive contributor for them that, that given season. So so yeah, from a from a macro standpoint, definitely a grain of salt. I don't expect any coach or player to make any grand predictions or anything about the overall team performance. But when it comes to individuals, like I said, I think I think we'll at least I'll at least be listening um, to see who or what is being said and 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 to take into account that like if we were to, just example, if we were here good things about AJ Henning. That to me, I don't, I don't read that as uh, AJ Henning will have 194 yards and three touchdown catches against Ohio State and Michigan will win that game. I right. look at it as, okay, how did AJ Henning do last year? Okay, he's probably going to do more than he did last year, and maybe they have a guy that can actually could be a, a a really good player for them. So that's kind of the way I always take it. And I'll listen on, like I said, I'll listen on individual players, but from a team standpoint, yeah, I'll take anything. If anybody goes public, which I don't expect with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. And, and some of it will depend on the context. I mean, AJ Henning, I think is a very good example. If, if there, there started to be a lot of buzz about him, I might buy into that because if you watch his high school film, uh, he looks like someone who's going to you know take a step forward. It's, it's more of a when, not an if, uh, you know, I'd say the same thing about, you know, David Ajabo and, and, and like a, maybe a Zach Zinter, there's actually already been a lot of positive buzz about Zach Zinter. I mean, he's another guy that just, you know, there's reason to believe that it's, that it's true. Even if it's not true to the extent that Michigan says, maybe it's true broadly speaking. Uh, you know, I think 
I think guys who were really high profile recruits, like if all of a sudden we hear Donovan Edwards is this amazing running back, well, maybe, maybe he is because <laughs> he was a five star. I mean, it, it's not out of the question. And so um, some of it will be context. Some of it will be contexted with what is being said in general. I mean, if they, if, if a coach is straight up saying this guy's going to be, you know, whether it's publicly or kind of through the, through the sources, this guy is going to be an all American. He's probably going to be pretty good. Maybe he doesn't become an all American, but people don't say that for about someone who's going to be like, so, so, um, and so, or at least, uh, I guess Don Brown did a couple times last year. So I can't, can't say they don't do that, but generally speaking, they don't. Don Brown was the ultimate, like take the good and the bad. I suppose he was the best assistant to talk to. Cause I thought he was, didn't he always give, he'd go the most insightful answers. Uh, but it, it, it faded, but it, it faded, but it did have a tendency to, if there was one assistant on staff who maybe had a tendency to overblow the yeah. potential impact of an individual player, it was definitely him. Right. So that that's, I think he's probably who a lot of people are think about when they think of the whole, right. Should we listen to what, Anybody well, because last, last spring, last May, he said he was worried about Vincent Gray leaving early to go pro. And he said that um, Josh Ross and Cam McGrone are the best inside linebacker duo in the country. Um, obviously, neither were even close to true. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and he, he wasn't the only one. I think other coaches were. I, it's natural for coaches to be excited about their players. And so I think. I think the context and, and kind of the, the overall big picture, I mean, if they're touting a guy who uh, has never played at a position or like switch positions and is new there, if they're touting a guy because he was directly asked about that player, if it's someone who we uh, pretty much had all penciled in as backups uh, and, or, you know, it's a guy that, that really no one had heard from for two or three years. I think all of that can be with a grain of salt. If it's a former top 100 recruit who was largely expected to be a contributor sooner or soon, then maybe you can take, I mean, you know, Nico Collins, I think was a perfect example is, is uh, he was someone that everyone expected to be really good. They actually burned his red shirt, which surprised a few people. And then the next fall or next August, it's like, oh man, he's really taken over that receivers room. Well, it turns out he did. You know, Josh Uche, I think before the 2018 season was um, very much like, oh, yeah, he's he's a beast. He's going to be a monster. And he didn't he didn't produce in the Notre Dame game and everyone lost their minds. But then he actually led the team in sacks that year. So, yeah, I think there's there's plenty of reasons or examples where it's been true. I am not I don't know if I ever like really took the bait a ton either. I, I would always kind of write it and be like, we'll see. but. I am listening less to the praise and more to the more to the why. I'm just curious to see how they put this thing together, because um, because some some position groups I think are are in really good shape. I think some things Michigan will be able to do really well, but I think if there is a theme to this entire podcast, uh, Michigan football's got a lot to prove, lot to prove, lot to work on as they begin their summer workouts. I assume next week. I don't actually know their official times, time schedule, but um, for the freshmen, 
all the all the 2021 freshmen are now enrolled at Michigan. I believe they're all on campus, you know, for the, for the summer classes and summer training. So inching closer to the football season, whether, whether all the fans like it or not. Uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Throw us a, a rating. Tell your friends if you like it. Um, feel free to listen to our recruiting podcasts as well as our basketball podcast throughout the summer. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll talk to you next time.